Hey, Rich Paramount, welcome to our podcast. We really hope this message encourages and challenges you as you walk with the Lord every day. Enjoy this message. In our series, We Are Reach is the title of our series. And we've been in this series for quite some time. Last time, the last Sunday, Pastor Omar spoke. I believe he spoke on grace and truth and he delivered that message that is one of our values and so we are reach really defines us and basically we're talking about our values we got together as a team and we we said look what are we good at right what are we what are we actually what is our values like what do we value the most as a church as a body of christ and we put these topics together and so today i'm going to continue on with that series but I want to remind you in a verse in Joel chapter 20, I'm sorry, Joel chapter 2, verse 27, he says this, and afterward I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Let's just pray for just a moment. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Jesus, for the opportunity to just worship you. Father, we thank you that we can come into your house and understand your scripture. Lord, we thank you that you're a God that continually edifies us. You're a God that continually challenges us. And Lord, I just pray that as I minister your word this morning, that it would not be my words, but it would be your words. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So what Joel is writing there is a very interesting concept. It's basically telling us that God is pouring out his spirit. But he says he's going to pour out his spirit on everybody. And you know what's heavy about that is when God begins to pour his spirit on people, that means he's kind of giving us a little bit more capacity there. Something begins to change when God puts his, pours out his spirit on all people, something begins to kind of stretch us. Things are kind of changing in our life. And it says, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So when God begins to pour out his spirit, there's a capacity increase that takes place. See, when we walk into church, the first time we walked in, it was awkward. How many, am I the only one? You guys are quiet this morning. You walk in, you're like, what is going on? Why are people singing? Why are there bright lights? What, what is this big screen here? Are we watching a movie? You know, and, and you're realizing, what is going on here? You know, and then you're like, what is this feeling inside of me? Why am I tearing up? What? He's just reading scripture. Why is God, what, why am I looking at my problems and examining them right now? And, and God begins to minister with his spirit. He begins to pour it out. And then there's a reaction that takes place with us where we're just kind of like, what is this encounter that we are experiencing? And I really believe when God begins to stretch our capacity, we're supposed to make room for God. And so what I want to kind of title this sermon and what our value is, it's make room. And we need to make room for God in our lives. See, it's not just enough just to have faith. you got to make room. So with that, I want to invite my wife up. She's going to give us a definition of our value for make room this morning. Hi, everyone. Good morning. Um, so uh, I laughed when, my, when Pastor Omar asked me to do this one because 
seems that I'm the one that needs to make the room usually. <laughs> so I'm honored to give this this morning. So the, the definition is here on the screen. It's a worker is more important than the work. We prioritize putting Christ first in an effort to create mental, physical, spiritual, and emotional health for ourselves, each other, and the ministry. And so I was thinking about this, and a lot of our values, they're about other people. They're reaching out, honoring others. But this one is more of a reflective inner um, restorative part of our values. It's a value within ourselves, within our heart. And practically making room looks like constantly evaluating where we're at. It means evaluating my relationship with God, evaluating my heart when I'm ministering, evaluating my relationship with people around me, and really evaluating where my marriage is and where my family is. And everything we do should be a reflection of our relationship with the Lord. In putting him first, we are sustained to do life and ministry at our fullest potential. In Psalms 127, it says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So if what we're doing doesn't have the Lord in it, it's going to get really heavy. Life gets really fast, overwhelming, mundane, whatever it might be. It gets so busy. All of these other words that we try and use and mask what busy is, it's just busy. And I want to look at real quick two women in the Bible, Mary and Martha, and I was personally very much a Martha, kind of still am, okay, very busy doing work for the Lord. But when was the time to sit with the Lord? When's the time to actually hear from him and then I can do? And are we making room for God to move? Or are we filling those spaces with other things? Are we cramming God into a space that he kind of fits in, that we feel he should be in? Or are we allowing him the space he needs to move? And then we can evaluate other areas of our lives, but with God at the forefront. And so making room doesn't look like just phoning it in. It doesn't look like making rash decisions. It doesn't look like being super emotional and saying, I'm quitting. None of that, okay? But there is a time for rest. But in 1 Kings 19, Elijah, he was having a lot of feelings. He was um, very overwhelmed. He was in the desert. And the Lord told him to take a rest and uh, eat for the journey. So don't underestimate the power of a nap and some food before you start making a lot of decisions. And okay, <laughs> there's also some practical things we need to do before we start flying off the handle saying, I'm quitting, I'm doing all this. We need to evaluate um, where we're at, give ourselves and others, importantly enough, the space to make room in their lives when necessary. So with that, life will never be perfectly balanced. But when we rely on the Lord, we can create a culture of rhythm. And the ebb and flow of life will be manageable. It won't be these huge uh, mountains and then we're down in the valley. Um, the, it will be manageable for our lives as we move forward with the Lord uh, at the forefront. It will create, create and sustain the vision of our church, especially when we make room for the Lord that he deserves. So. All right, let's give her a hand. Amen. Kind of just wanted her to stay up here and preach the whole sermon. She did such a good job. Thank you, honey. But listen, you know, it's interesting. When you begin to think about make room, it really brings up a common denominator of your faith. See, faith is an interesting concept because when you have faith, it actually kind of separates the world from us. Right? Faith is that, that, just that, that line, that fine line, like, are you a man or woman of faith? And that's going to tell you how, how you should be. Right? It's, it, faith is what decides, you know, how close we are to God. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, he rewards those who earnestly seek him. 
Now, I, I, don't want to, I don't want you to take that verse lightly because it's true. We have to earnestly seek him. And I think there's a difference between those that say, yes, I believe Jesus. Yes, I come to church. Yes, I make room. But are you earnestly seeking him? Are you reading your word? Are you praying? Are you worshiping? Are you trying to spend time with him? Or are you just waiting for connect group? Are you just waiting for prayer service? Or are you just waiting for church? No, earnestly seeks him means it's a personal depth that takes place in your own personal time. We have to be able to earnestly seek God when our brothers and sisters aren't around. It's, it's, it's easy to do these things when we have a community and we build this community and we can make room for each other. We can make room with Christ together. But what about alone? Are we really making room alone in that alone time? Do we have those opportunities? Are we creating those opportunities? Faith requires you to make some room in your life. I remember I was going through a, a dark time, and I've, I've, I think I've shared this before. I was going through a very dark time. I was a teacher. I've even preached on the platform, and this was years ago, and, and uh, I was going through a dark time with my work, my job. It just became very saturating in my life. I was busy, and then I still had to do ministry work here at the church and, uh, because I've made commitments, and, and I realized that I started to pick up some things in my own mind. I started to get a little bit of anxiety. I called my mom, my dad, I called everybody. I said, I've reached a breaking point to where I can't do things anymore. I can't even do things like teach, which I've been called to do. And so I, something spiritual was going on. And in my head, I started not to sleep. I dealt with insomnia for several months, maybe sleeping four or five hours a week. And I remember just trying to battle this out, trying to resolve it, trying to fix it. And I finally called pastor. I said, I'm messed up, man. I couldn't even sit in church anymore. I couldn't even stand up. I was just kind of messed up. My mind was racing. And I've shared this story numerous times on this stage. But I realized I wasn't making the right room for Christ in my life. I was too busy. I was too messed up. I was trying to do everything. I was trying to accomplish everything on my own. That I left my relationship far away. I've walked away from it. And yes, even though I had the talent, I had all these things in my life to preach God's word, to understand his word, to teach it, I couldn't do it. I couldn't open my mouth. My anxiety would, would kick up so high and my stress level that I almost would have panic attacks in service. So if somebody would ask like, hey, can you teach this connect group? Can you do this? Can you teach? I would be like, no, I can't. And I remember telling Pastor Omar, I'm in a dark place and all he did was pray for me. And I was like, thank you so much for praying for me. I feel better. The doctors wanted to give me prescriptions, checking my gallbladder. I went to the, it was a mess, man. And it wasn't until I said, you know, I need to make some room. I need to spend quality time in prayer. I needed to pray with my wife. My wife would pray for me when I couldn't sleep. And I, re I realized I just wasn't making that room. See, because the worker is more important than the work, amen? I wasn't taking care of myself. I had this capacity, but I wasn't filling that capacity with Christ. I was filling it with other things. I was trying to get ahead in my career. I was trying to, you know, do all these different things that Christ is like, you know, you're doing a lot, but you know what? You, you kind of need to put me first still. And I realized, well, well, I'm doing it wrong. Here's a teacher doing it wrong. 
And you, and you have to understand that making room is probably the most important thing that you can do in your life. And you have to overcome all these obstacles. It is about your mental, your spiritual health, the circumstances. You need to be able to balance all of that, right? But you're only going to be able to do it with Christ at the helm. You're only going to be able to do these things and increase that capacity in your spiritual life if you have Christ and you make him a priority in your life. Because the worker is more important than the work. Yes, you may have a gift. Yes, you may have these understandings. And yes, you probably are very, very talented. But here at Reach, we don't necessarily care about that. We care about the relationship that you have with Christ so you could take on the work of Christ. Amen? And that's what making room is. In order to make room for Jesus in your life, there are several things we need to do. And you have to understand that the enemy is knocking at the door. There's a threat for your life. You may be talented. You may have all this understanding. You may have been in church for 10 plus years. But I'm telling you, if you don't recognize that there is a threat on your life, that the enemy wants to tear you down, you're just going to go status quo. The increase is going to stop. Because you've become too comfortable. And Satan is looking right at you saying, look at that guard, it is down. He wants to destroy your faith, suffocate any good that is coming out of you. Anything that is Christ-like, the enemy wants to tear down. But we need to make room. You know what the, you know what the Bible he talks about? The Bible talks a lot about the enemy. And one word and one title that they give the enemy that I like is the accuser. Satan is the accuser. In numerous scriptures we see this, but in specifically Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, he says, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night and has been cast down. I look at that scripture and I see, I see an enemy that is looking to put labels on you. I see an enemy that, that wants you to dwell in the deepest and darkest places. Some of us have been told negative things in our life. We've been told bad reports that your God cannot heal you. You've been told different things that you're not good enough to serve in the church. Why are you walking in there? Why are you pretending to come into church all the time? The enemy is trying to suffocate you. He's trying to accuse you that you are not Christ-like. See, when you don't make room, church... What the enemy does, he says, oh, there's a little room there. Let me go ahead and fill it for him. Let me go ahead and tell them a lie. And you start to believe it. See, when you, will, when you look in the mirror, you see all your problems. Some of you, when you look in the mirror, you see nothing but problems. You don't see the Christ-like figure. You don't see the Christ-like identity that he's given you. But you look at yourself and you believe in lies. Lies from the world. Lies from your family or friends that have been lying to you. That's the accuser at work. See, when we believe in our lies about ourselves, then we're listening to the enemy. You know, Jesus kind of, he says this in John chapter 8, verse 43 he says, why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father lies. However, when Jesus says that, 
we don't take that into account in our own lives, that the enemy's been lying to you. That isn't the label that Christ has for you. Christ has something else in you. See, there's some evidence that you can look at in your own life to understand if you're making room correctly. I know we're busy. I know a lot of us are in ministry. A lot of us have careers or we're business owners and we're, we can become distracted from the Lord. And you know what? There is something that Jesus gives to kind of test ourselves, to kind of check our temperature with him. He tells us this in Matthew chapter 12, verse 33. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You, you uh, uh, brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. I'm going to read that again. I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. That scares me. That, gives, that shakes me up. Like I've slipped up. I've said negative things. And you know what? I realized, oh my God, I'm going to get it. God's going to remember that. You know, and I, I, it's an interesting concept. You ever, have, you ever hear somebody say, don't judge me? You ever hear somebody say that? I find that as an interesting concept. Only God can judge me. Okay, Tupac, chill out. All of a sudden, we're Bible scholars when someone's judging us. Right? Let me, let me tell you something. Here's, here's an interesting concept. I want to be judged. That's why I took on the role of an assistant pastor. I want to be judged. I'd rather be judged here now than for that trial that I'm going to have up in heaven. You can judge me all you want. So when people say, don't judge me, okay, so you're going to wait for that trial? You want God to judge you? You know, his standard is heavy because he says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Meaning that the heart can be defiled with things. It can be tainted. And it can eventually manifest itself right out into words. Jesus also says, I tell you, the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word that they speak. So if we don't make room, we could potentially hurt others and we will be judged. Our words bring condemnation. Not on others, on ourselves. And so if we're not making room, this begins to come out and then we are judged. But I'll tell you this, I'd rather you judge me than God judge me. Tell me now if I'm doing something wrong. Why am I saying that? I'm not saying that so you can judge me. You're more than welcome to. But take the plank out of your own eye before you do that, all right? But listen, I want my brothers to judge me. I want Pastor Isaac to judge me. I want Pastor Omar to tell me, hey, tell me, I've asked him, tell me if I'm messing up, man. Tell me if I'm not doing a good job. Tell me if I'm not doing it right. What is that? That's judgment. Hey, can you tell me? Give me feedback. Give me more. Because I need it. And so I'd want to be judged. As a Christian, I want to know what I'm doing wrong. I want the word of God to judge me. When I read it and I pick it up, I want this to begin to start making room. I want it to start shifting things around in my mind. I want it to completely challenge me. I want it to judge me. I want to read it and be like, oh, did Jesus say that? That's really hard. 
You know, I'm, I, I'm reminded in a story in scriptures. It's one of my favorite stories. I'm not even sure if I preached it before, but it's Philemon. It's a small book. It's like 28 verses, one chapter. And basically, Philemon is this guy that had like a church in his house. So I'm going to tell you the quick story. I'm going to paraphrase it because I don't want to read 28 verses to you. You can go ahead and read it at home. Now Philemon, he's this guy that had a servant. He had a bond servant. And his name was Onesimus. Really cool name, Onesimus. Onesimus did something bad. He stole something from Philemon. And he runs away. And he begins to run away. And he runs to the apostle Paul who's imprisoned in Rome. He's in chains. If, uh, if the, the media team could put that picture up there, just to kind of give you some, some visual there, this is Philemon, or I'm sorry, Onesimus, going to the Apostle Paul. You could see the chains. Paul's in prison. He's got the chains on his feet, chains on his wrist, and he's writing something. He's going to write a letter to Philemon on behalf of Onesimus. And you know what he says in that letter? He says some interesting things. He says in, in Philemon chapter 1, verse 11, he says, Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. Paul also calls Onesimus his child. Now, not his biological child, of course, but again, there was something that took place. Onesimus does something wrong, and instead of running away, he actually has some type of conviction in his life, and he runs to the apostle Paul, and he tells him, I have stolen something. And what I think, what I think begins to happen is he begin, Paul begins to minister to Onesimus, about repentance. I believe he begins to minister to him and, and he begins to write to Philemon and he tells him, I want you to take him back. He ran away, he took something from you, but I want you to take him back because he is useful now. Before he was useless, but now he is useful. But it's even, what's even more important in verse 15 of this, of this book, it says, for this perhaps is why he was parted for you for a while, that he might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. And what Paul is saying there is he begins to tell Philemon, take him back. I know he stole something from you, but he's different now. He's no longer a bondservant. And really, Paul is saying, he goes on to say in that book, I'm emancipating him. He's no longer a servant, he's a brother. And he's gonna be useful to you now. Not only useful in your household, but useful in the Lord. Because something happened to Onesimus. Something happened. The spirit has been poured out onto him. Something took place. Now there's more capacity. There's been room that has been made. And now he's been filled with the spirit of God. And now he's going to be useful in the things of the gospel. Before he was a thief. Before he was a slave to sin, before he committed these acts, and now he's been freed. And now he's even more useful, amen? How much more is it just like Christ who intercedes for you, who gives you that freedom? You make the room, and now you are useful for the gospel, amen? This is why make room is one of our values. It's heavy. We gotta make room because the worker is more important than the work. In James 
Chapter four, verse seven, it says, submit yourselves therefore to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. See here at Reach, we care about who you are rather than what you do. We get so many people sometimes walking in here. Hey, I know how to do this. Hey, I knew how to do that. I know how to do all these things at my former church. Now I'm here. I want to tell you something. We care more about your soul than what you do. You can't just walk in here and start getting into ministry. It doesn't work like that. We want to see growth. We want to see evidence of the spirit. We want to see evidence that Christ is in you. We want to see that you are a true disciple of Christ, amen? We want to make sure your, your relationship is honest. We understand God gives people gifts, and we celebrate that. But you're more important than your gift. Your mental health, your spiritual health, even, even your, your, uh, your personal health, your, your personal home, and everything that you go home to is important to us. We want to make sure that you're in good standing, that you have a good relationship, that you know how to feed yourself, that you're reading your Bible on your own. We want those things for you because it is not us that brings the increase by any means. It is God that brings the increase. It is his spirit that brings the increase. You know, when I was young, I was told, uh, everyone told me who Christ was because I wasn't reading my Bible. And you know, I realized when I started to read the Bible, to find out who Christ was, I was realizing everybody was kind of wrong on who he was, or everyone had different opinions. See, the biblical Christ was something I easily can make room for, but not this Christ that is preached in the media. And I think that when you begin to look at Christ, and I want to talk about the biblical God, when you have an honest relationship with the biblical God, the God in this Bible, I'm going to say it emphatically, Yahweh, that God, the God that can move mountains with faith, the guy that can heal the sick, the guy that can, can be raised from the dead, the guy that can conquer death, the guy that can clean, cleanse your sins, the guy that can change your life, put transformation inside you, Yahweh. See, a lot of people say, well, what about these other religions? I said, the oldest God that we know is written in the Bible, and that is Yahweh. Okay, it's not Allah. It's not anything else. Yahweh, that is the God we worship, the God of the Bible, the God that has miracles, that performs miracles, the God that defeats death, amen? Not a relationship with the Jesus that the world tells you about. I had a coworker tell me one time, you really know Jesus? I go, yeah, I know Jesus. He goes, well, because, you know, when you talk about Jesus, you know, Jesus was a man of grace and love, man. And then I would remind them of some of the things that Jesus would say in Luke chapter 9, verse 62. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. No, not everybody goes to heaven. That's a scary verse. I don't like when Jesus says that. I honor it. I believe it, but why did you say that? That one doesn't make me feel good, right? But we all want to say like, hey, you know, everyone's going to heaven. No, they're not. We preach truth on this platform. Jesus speaks truth, therefore we preach truth, amen? Not everybody's going to heaven. Those of you online, not everybody's going to heaven. It's not going to happen. There is requirements to get there. There are things we need to do. Here's something else Jesus said that's going to scare us. Matthew 8, chapter, uh, sorry, Matthew chapter 8, verse 21, another of the disciples said to him, Lord, 
let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own. Oh, that's kind of rude. <laughs> Jesus teaches grace, but he also teaches truth. We went over this. This is one of our values, right? But see, you have to make room. You have to make room in order to get there. It's not just something that we're kind of just, hey, look, you believe in God? Yeah. Do you live for him? Well, no, but I believe in him. Okay, you're going to make it in. No. What does the Bible do? Well, the Bible says that the Lord comes for those who earnestly seek him. There is a requirement that you must seek, make room, put things aside. Jesus also says this, right? We're, we're commanded to listen to his teachings, but he says this in John 8, verse 31, to the Jews who have believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You cannot be set free from things unless you listen to the teachings of Jesus. I'm not just saying, oh, I can listen in here. I'm saying living the teachings of Jesus, even the things you don't like what he says. There is a heavy truth in Scripture. Jesus preaches against hell. He preaches against sin. Shouldn't we acknowledge it in our own lives? Shouldn't we make room to listen to those things? And let the transformation take place. See, the biblical God brings transformation, church. Not me, not our senior pastor, not the team, the creative team or the pastoral team. None of that. It is not us that brings the change. We just deliver the message. But it is God that brings that transformation. You know what, you know what gets me upset? When, when, when Christians fight with each other in the church. And then there's like this, this thing where we think, I can't do ministry with this person anymore. I can't work with this individual anymore. And it's like we're still holding on to our immaturity of the world. Like we pick up things from our parents and we realize like no parent is perfect. And don't get me wrong, you know, parents are amazing. There's some great parents. My father's here right now. He's a great parent. He's... Okay, stop. He gets embarrassed. <laughs> but listen, there's some great parents, but you know nobody's perfect. We should model our lives. We grow up learning from our parents. Absolutely. Listen to your parents. Be obedient even to them in their older age, right? Be obedient to them. But Jesus should now start to be instructing your life the moment you, you say, Lord, I want to make you Lord of my life. Not, not uh, you know, the your boss at work or anything like that, Jesus should have the greatest influence on your life because that brings transformation. See, we want to see discipleship taking place in the church. People seeking discipleship, wanting more than, than just, hey, what you get from the pulpit, wanting to know more. We want to get better. We want good fruit, amen? Just like Jesus commanded us, we want to see that good fruit start to being developed in our lives because the worker is more important than the work. You should be able to see that in people. We want the same Holy Spirit anointing from the Old Testament as he pours out his spirit 
all the way to the New Testament as it's regurgitated in Acts chapter 2, verse 17. They quote Joel again. The writer Luke says in Acts chapter 2, and in the last days it shall be good, it shall be God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. In other words, no age, no gender, nothing like that, God is going to pour out his spirit. Even the old men are going to dream dreams. Amen. I love that. And it gets regurgitated in the New Testament. So that way you know I'm not just preaching to you out of the New Testament, but it's old and new. Amen. Because the New Testament affirms the old. The Old, old Testament affirms the New Testament and they coincide with each other. So how much more should we listen and bring increase, capacity, when we deliberately make room for Christ in our lives? We change everything. And I know it's tough, church. It's hard. The enemy's trying to disrupt you. He's trying to take you out of your rhythm. And I know a lot of people know this concept. We have to have a good balance between work, life, church. I like that. But you know what I think? I think it's more of a rhythm. I think you need to have more of a rhythm in your life. In other words, there needs to be some kind of rhythm that is taking place because we need to get tough, not soft. We need to get really tough. And in order to get tough, you keep your rhythm. You keep your beat. Now, I'm not a worship leader by any means, okay? You don't want that. You don't want to see that, okay? But there is something called a metronome, and it keeps the beat. It keeps the progression. It keeps the cadence. It keeps the rhythm. And as it continues to beat, right, it brings progression. Now, if the metronome stops, it messes things up. There's potential for distraction. There's potential for, to mess up because that metronome is not there keeping us on beat. It's the same way in your spiritual life. You need to have a rhythm. Life is more than just waking up at 8 a.m., 7 a.m., 6 a.m., 5 a.m., and going to work and clocking in and saying, boss, what would you like us to do today? It's more than that. That's not the rhythm you should have for your life. There needs to be a nice rhythm where you have Christ involved. In other words, when you start to get off beat, the rhythm and the cadence is still there, and that's Jesus. So when you get off beat and you hit a speed bump, you mess up, you you delve into temptation head first. You screw up. You allow sin in your life. You have this cadence. That's what the church is there for, to keep you. The church is that metronome to help you make room. So you say, you know, I messed up, but I'm still going to go to the prayer room. I messed up, but I'm still going to go to church. I messed up, but I need to come to the altar. I messed up, but I'm going to connect group. In other words, you keep that rhythm going. You keep it going. You don't fall off the horse and run away. Onesimus ran away, but then he realized, I need to run to the Apostle Paul. I need to be corrected. I need to be judged. I need to be opened. I need to make room. It's that rhythm that keeps you going. When people say, why are you going to church all the time? Because I got to stay in rhythm. I got to keep it going because I'm going to mess up. And if I mess up, I want to keep that cadence. I want to keep that rhythm going because that brings progression. It brings growth. It brings increase. Spiritual increase, because you have that capacity. Make room for physical church, not virtual church. Yes, I know you pay for your high-speed internet. But come to church. For those online, you're invited here. Let's have relationship. Let's have community. So we keep the cadence, we keep the rhythm together. 
where there's room for worship. We need to make room for prayer, physical church, room for connections with friendship, room for worship, and room for study. Understanding the biblical God, Yahweh. Understanding the miracles, amen. Pastor Omar said the other day, he said, uh, just because you go to the gym doesn't mean you're working out. I love that. That wasn't even part of his sermon, I think. I think he just, just came off the top of his head at the end of service the other day. I was like, look at that fire. Preaching heat, man. He just casually went up there and just said that. I was like, whoa. I've been to the gym a couple times. I wasn't working out that hard, I'll be honest. You could tell, right? But it's the same thing. Just because you go to church doesn't make you a Christian. Just because you go to church doesn't mean you're going to heaven. So how do you know if you're truly making room? In James chapter 2, verse 17, it says, So also by faith itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Uh-oh. I know there's some Bible scholars watching online. You go ahead and judge me. Well, Rob, Pastor Rob, that verse is saying that it's works that's going to get you saved? Like, no, I'm not saying that. You remember, Apostle Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, 9. There's some friction here, but I'm going to explain it. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 9, Paul says the opposite thing. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So which is true, church? Which is true? It's not the works. It's not. But we have some friction here between the two. And see, what happens here is Paul focuses on the root of salvation. He says, it's not, it's not going to be the works that get you saved. But let me tell you, they're both right. Because what James was focused on, the fruit of salvation. In other words, the Bible gives us a standard to help us measure where we should be and where we're at. You have to be honest with yourself. I'm not judging you. But I'm going to tell you this. Judge yourself. Don't wait for that trial. Judge yourself. Don't wait for the eternal trial because you may not get past that one. All right, I want to see you in there with me. I'm judging myself every day. I'm asking for judgment from my pastors my, and, and the, the mentors in my life. I'm asking for that. But let me tell you something. Paul focuses on the root of salvation. James is focusing on, focusing on the fruit of salvation. See, faith that knows Christ... Is faith that's going to show Christ. You should be different when you accept Christ. Something should shift inside of you where you want more of him. And you're probably saying, Pastor Rob, I don't feel that. I don't want that. And I'm telling you here today that that is Yahweh. If you don't feel that, go feel it. Go get it. Earnestly seek him. Can I have the worship team come up? earnestly seek him this morning because we need to make room church I know it's a topic that you know it's, it's challenging and I hope you felt challenged by it because it's a challenging topic for me even putting this together am I making room because you could be you can understand the Bible you know front to back you can know everything. You can understand the Holy Spirit. You can teach classes. You can do all these things. You can operate in your gifting. But it doesn't mean you're making the right room. And in this church, we care about that. Because we want to see leaders grow. 
We want to see discipleship taking place. See, that discipleship is not just with other brothers. We want to see the Holy Spirit begin to speak to you. The Holy Spirit begin to minister to you. That is the true discipleship that we want to see. I know we're busy. My wife earlier brought up the story of Mary and Martha. How Jesus was, it's pretty cool that, you know, they're, they're out there seeing Jesus perform miracles and ministering. And so, you know, Martha, you know, asked Jesus. She invites Jesus in her home and she was complaining about her sister Mary like Jesus Bible says here I'll read it to you in Luke 10 I'm not going to have it up there it says Lord do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone tell her to help me how many of us have said that in ministry Lord why am I the only one doing this where's, where's sister so and so where's brother so and so how come I'm the only one committed how come I'm the only one that cares right that's Martha goes on to say, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. In other words, we can become very busy, scatterbrained. I'm the same way. I'm going, going, going. And I say, I have to tell myself, hey, stop. You need to make some room. Saturday mornings, I used to dread going to prayer because it's too early my only day to sleep in. Yeah, I get it. We all work too, buddy. Right? I get it. But you know, I, I Saturday morning prayers have become some of my favorite times of the week. And it's because I, I'm making room. I've been more intentional about that in my own life, to make room. And I'm making room not just because of me, but because of my daughters, my wife, my family. Because when I make room, I feel like God's going to do something. I'm doing it for the church. I got to be ready in season, out of season. So do you. You're not exempt. I got to make room. God's going to entrust me with people and their souls. I got to make room. God's going to entrust me with my family. So I got to make room. I got to make sure my heart is right. Because I got to give direction. I got to make room. And, you know, I love what Pastor Omar says. He says, you know, if this relationship, your vertical relationship, if that's not good, these relationships are not going to be good. Your horizontal relationships, they will not be good. The Father feeds us so much. He gives us wisdom. He gives us the correct words to speak. He gives us his love, his grace, his truth. What more could you ask for in life? Thanks so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com give.